We really are witnessing the media just do their level best to, to to try to deprive a win from the president this morning. Good morning. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. It's Friday, so we give you a little more flexibility to call in on the program this morning. Um, the U.S. unemployment rate has dropped to 10.2% in July. Uh, it had been 11.1. Uh, this is a really good uh, improvement in the economy. 1.8 million more jobs were added, uh, but uh, you would think it was terrible news if you read it in most major media outlets this morning. Let me see if I can can I pull up the the push report on on this from yes. Uh, l- l- let me read you the the push alert. This is CNN. Headline, these are all the breaking news alerts. Uh, The recovery loses steam. The U.S. added another 1.8 million jobs in July, a sharp slowdown from June, and a small step for an economy that's still down 13 million jobs. Uh, Let's see, where else are we? Um, We got, where are the other headlines? Here we go. The New York Times, the U.S. economy gained 1.8 million jobs in July, but the pace showed a loss of momentum as reopening is faltering. Wall Street Journal, employers added 1.8 million jobs in July and the unemployment rate fell to 10.2%, so far recovering less than half the jobs lost during the pandemic. They can't even bring themselves to acknowledge there actually is good news out there, which is a little bit crazy. But that's the way that uh, they are, that, that, that's how the media wants to cover this. The media wants to make this uh, as, as negative for the president as they possibly can. The media wants to not uh, celebrate the good news. 1.8 million jobs added in July. That is a huge surge. It brought the unemployment rate down a full percentage point. And we should be celebrating that. And instead, the media position is, oh, it's, it's, this is bad news for the president because we, we, we clearly, if we slowed down the, the hiring, well, of course we slowed down the hiring because the virus is spiked, but we're still, we've still got over a million jobs created. That is, that, that's good for the president. Uh, and, and we should be applauding that the recovery is, uh, still happening. Of course, it's slower than, um, the, the several million, there, there are still 13 million unemployed people. It's still not good, but we're still headed in the right direction. And that's a good thing. And now, of course, the media this morning, I'm already seeing CNN doing this. Well, you know, black unemployment is worse than white unemployment in this country. Well, well, it has been. Um, My goodness. Okay. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do something here. I, I want to air dirty laundry. <laughs> not really um so yeah i will we'll we'll get more into the economy and stuff and and i gotta yeah, stick around because we gotta we gotta deal with joe biden my goodness the man this is why they want him off the off the campaign trail um so i you know y'all know if if you listen i'm in i'm in middle georgia and most of the private schools here got together 
to come up with reopening plans. Um, my kid's school apparently wasn't even invited to participate. It's a private school. Um, wasn't even invited to participate in, in with these other private schools, which is unfortunate, but actually turned out to be really good. Uh, and the reason I say it turned out to be really good is because all these private schools, you, you would think that they had cured cancer the way that the, they have celebrated themselves in the press with all these school, the school superintendents being interviewed on how they came up with the plan and, and what they're going to do. We are surrounded in our neighborhood by parents who go to these private schools and they're livid. Now, there are some of them who are upset because the schools are doing anything and they, they still think the virus is no big deal. But by and large, it's parents really concerned that, for example, you know, the data originally showed, and, and let's be fair, the data originally showed on the virus that, that kids aren't going to get the virus. Well, now we actually know that's not true. And not only are they getting the virus, but they can transmit it to their parents. And take the Lake Burton example here in Georgia, for example, for those of you outside the state, uh, the governor of Georgia suspended summer camps and then uh, relented at the beginning of June and allowed summer camps to open. Most of them did not, but one opened up at Lake Burton. It was a YMCA camp the CDC has identified. Uh, and this camp was an overnight camp and the the staff were required to wear masks. The kids were not. Well, the virus started spreading. Uh, now, I am told by multiple people who claim familiarity with it, and I don't doubt them, uh, that part of what happened is, is a couple of the people who were there had gone out. Uh, they weren't socially distancing as they were asked to do prior to the opening of the camp. They got the virus, didn't realize it came, and, and the infection started spreading. Well, it spread down to elementary school kids. I mean, we're talking like six, seven, eight, eight-year-olds uh, getting the virus. Three-quarters of the kids who got it, we were talking about a 300 kids or so, and three-quarters of them had symptoms. Now, they weren't bad symptoms. Thankfully, this is one thing we do know, that kids who get it tend to not have severe symptoms. Uh, they have So they had a headache, um, sore throat, uh, and a cough, uh, and fever. About a quarter of the kids had nothing, zero, no symptoms at all. Uh, asymptomatic. So you're, you're talking three quarters, 200 some odd kids had, had symptoms. One quarter of them did not. Uh, and then the adults got it. Well, now we know some of those elementary school kids then transmitted it to people in their household when they got home from camp, when the camp was shut down. So we know now for certain from real world incidents that kids are transmitting. We see this also happening in Israel, if you will recall, Israel reopened the schools, and when they did, the virus just kind of exploded. Uh, and we know that Israel did some stupid things in the process, like closing windows and using old um, window unit air conditioners in some rooms where the air just kind of recirculates in the room. It doesn't actually go out. Um, it's not bringing in a lot of outside fresh air. And it, the, the virus exploded, and it got down into elementary school kids, and then they spread it to their parents and grandparents. Uh, so we, we now have enough real-world data out there that we know that our initial assumptions about the virus when it comes to elementary school kids is not true. Well, I keep hearing from from parents, uh, next-door neighbors, people down the street, people on email lists who are just beside themselves that all these schools got together, uh, didn't invite the one school. Uh, the rest of them got together, and they came up with a plan that largely does nothing at the elementary school level. And now we know that, that the data that we initially presumed back in the beginning of summer is wrong. And now you got a lot of concerned parents like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And so the, the irony is, is the, the, the school that apparently wasn't even 
bother to be invited to participate is uh, my kid's school. And they had to come up with their own plan. And it is a very detailed plan uh, down to the elementary school level. Uh, and and all the, the, the teachers are being involved in stuff. And as a result, <laughs> none of us are freaking out about sending our kids to school. And now we've got friends who go to these other schools. are like, wow, can we get our kid into your school? Too late. <laughs> okay. So I, 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 I say this somewhat laughingly. One, just the, the arrogance involved in, in the, the victory laps that, that people are taking on this stuff. No one needs to take a victory lap with, with the virus. Uh, but, but two... You know, you've got to be flexible enough in your living right now to be able to change your plans as new data comes in. And, and the new data that's coming in uh, does suggest that you do need to be thinking, if, if you're a school administrator, you got to be thinking about the elementary school system as well. Uh, the, you, you can't just say, no big deal. You've got to do social distancing there as well. Now, I am not a proponent of masks for elementary school kids, uh, even though I'm a proponent of masks. I just don't think you're going to get a first or second grader to keep them on all day. Uh, I think the faculty is going to have to do it, but not the kids. But you, still social distancing, uh, limiting the number of kids at one time piling into bathrooms or in hallways. Uh, if they're in hallways wearing masks and give the elementary school kids there to wear masks, things like that. You just you got to think about this stuff. You know, the, none of us. Uh, I, I heard a teacher yesterday and, and it, it kind of made me mad. And I'm trying to show as much grace as possible to, to every one of these situations. Let's just acknowledge that we are in brave new world territory here. All of us need to acknowledge that we're in brave new world territory. We don't really know day-to-day stuff Stuff changes. We have new scientific developments, new scientific breakthroughs, new scientific knowledge. All of us have to be a little more flexible and a little more adaptive than we've been in the past in order to get through the next year until we can get to a point where maybe this thing fades. Maybe there is a good vaccine that a lot of people will take. And, you know, so there's a lot of research out there. Did you know like three quarters of the American public has no faith in a vaccine? Uh, everybody's rushing it. I have seen, have y'all seen this meme just as a random aside here? Have y'all seen this? I find this to be very funny. Uh, someone put out, and my buddy Cliff, my, my financial advisor up at Dynamic Money, uh, Cliff had put this on, on Instagram and I just fell out laughing. You know, Bill Gates is investing all that money building manufacturing facilities. There are all these crazy conspiracy theories about Bill Gates, but he's essentially, he's building manufacturing facilities with his billions of dollars. You know, the billions that the left doesn't want him to have, he's actually using to build the assembly lines for the vaccines, for the various vaccines in which if one doesn't work, well, all vaccines are generally produced in, in similar ways so they can shut down that assembly line and repurpose it to the one that does work and, and ramp up very fast. And he's doing it through his foundation. He's not contrary to the conspiracy theories. He's not going to make money on it. But so so Cliff, my financial advisor, he puts up this picture and it's some meme that's going around. Uh, how can we trust Bill Gates to prevent a virus when he could never do it on Windows? <laughs> it's not a bad point. Not a bad point. We're all going to have the, 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 the blue window of death. <laughs> oh, I should stop while I'm in. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, uh, so my, my point here is just generally don't, don't be bragging and, and don't lock your plans in. Don't set your plans in stone because all of us need to have a level of flexibility. It's, it's like the airlines now are allowing you to cancel vacations. Normally they, they used to nickel and dime you. Now they're like, we, we get it. We get it. Uh, you, you got the virus. Someone in your family did, or, or you're uncomfortable going because it's a hot spot now. We'll 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 give you a refund, or we'll we'll let you put off your trip. Or the hotels are doing it. You got to do it too. 
Everybody in life right now needs to be flexible. Uh, we we got to have so much flexibility right now because the data continues to change. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. The more knowledge we have, we should be able to change our minds on things. And that's one of my deep frustrations right now is, is that people get in new knowledge and, and they want to pick and choose just to reaffirm what they already know. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. Now, if you're wishy-washy and you're flipping back and forth all the time, yeah, there's a problem. But if you get new data in, you're allowed to change your mind. There's, there, it actually shows that you're a mature, grown-up person. And right now, nobody wants to do that. So please, just, just have some flexibility in your life. Be willing to change as new data comes in. And understand that the situation we have today is going to be different from the situation we have two weeks from now. And, and we may we may see this thing go. There are some scientists who believe we really have uh, hit the point where we're going to start seeing it fade in society. And then, you know, you, you've got the situation like with Mike DeWine up in Ohio. You know, the governor of Ohio, there were all sorts of breaking news alerts yesterday that the governor of Ohio tested positive with a rapid test that he had the virus. And people are like, how on earth did this guy get it? He's been like chief Mr. Lockdown. So then he took a more detailed test that takes a little more time to process, and they did it last evening. Turns out he didn't have the virus, but he got out of having to meet the president, which DeWine privately isn't a big fan of the president, so I'm sure he was reassured that he wouldn't have to meet the president. But, you know, even even Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, has got to have some flexibility. We've all got to have flexibility right now. Practice your practice your yoga stances. Uh, get, get yourself some flexibility here and, and stop presuming that you got it in the bag because you probably don't. Uh, nor does your school. And the moral of the story here is just please offer everybody a little grace to get it wrong. You know, the governor signed the liability legislation here in Georgia, so your school's not going to get sued if you go back to school and, and the virus starts spreading. That doesn't mean that the schools need to not do anything, but it does need to, to have the schools recognize that as new data comes in, change what you are doing. Oh, one last thing. This, this question actually came up yesterday with, with some friends, and then overnight I got a couple of emails from people, which is kind of funny, uh, for, from folks up in Atlanta uh, who have private schools, and they're asking what they can do with their schools. Here, here are a couple of suggestions. One, um, air purifiers in classrooms aren't going to do any good. But, 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 um, all of you who go to schools, whether it's public or private, there are hydro – I didn't even know these things existed, but there are hydrogen peroxide misters that you can connect into HVAC systems and they mist hydrogen peroxide into recirculated air and the hydrogen peroxide can kill the virus. And if you want to find something meaningful to do, figure out how much these things cost and pull your money and put them into your schools. That's actually a meaningful way to figure. Now, I think they're expensive. I I'm sure they're expensive. I don't know how much they cost. I didn't even know they existed until yesterday. But uh, several friends of mine, their schools have put them in, and there is actually a ton of research that they actually do help. So if you want to alleviate concerns, that's the way to go. Also, there are UV light filtration. We've actually got this in our house. Uh, High-intensity UV light kills the virus very quickly, uh, and you can combine them with filtration systems and air conditioners to do it. So look it up, Grady. And if, if you want to make meaningful, give yourself peace of mind things that you can do that actually scientifically have shown to help, uh, those sorts of things to HVAC systems in your schools definitely is one way to go. Um, but just remember now, if your school doesn't have any plans and they aren't going to do anything different for elementary schools, well, time to rethink that. We have new information. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I want to play for you an ad uh, that is deeply annoying to me, and I, I want you to see this for yourself. 
This is a candidate running for Congress in Massachusetts. Let, let me play this for you. Uh, first, let me make sure I'm doing my, my good good job here, I, that I'm rerouting my audio so I don't get myself in trouble with my producer. Here we go. My story isn't the story of the wealthy white men who run Washington. It's not the story of the big bank executives that I battled as a Wall Street regulator. My story is the story of the working class. Of young women and men of color rising up across this country in the fight for justice. My name is Esan Leike. I'm running for Congress in Massachusetts' 4th Congressional District. I was born in Morocco to a public school teacher and a farmer. I came to this country believing in the American dream of starting from nothing and becoming successful. I took subminimum wage jobs. I faced sexual harassment and wage theft. In the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, I was disgusted to see our government hand out blank checks to these giant banks, leaving people homeless. I walked into the boardrooms of these banks, sat across the table from their CEOs, found every discrepancy in what they reported. I vowed to fight back on behalf of the American people. We live in the richest country in the world. Why do we have to go through this unnecessary suffering? And the answer is so that profits are maximized at the top. That unnecessary suffering can end if we work for the most vulnerable in our community. We want an American dream where the ultra-wealthy pay their fair share, where we have Medicare for all and a Green New Deal, where we guarantee affordable housing and pre-K for all, where black lives really do matter. We have a country that is built on the suffering of its people, but we also have a system that provides you rights that don't exist in a lot of other parts of the world, that your vote actually matters, that you can become the government that you want to see, that you can build the country that you believe in. That is your power, and I want you to use it. Okay, so that is her ad, and I gotta now I gotta read the tweet that goes with it. I came to America with nothing. In ten years, I went from mopping restaurant floors to taking on the biggest banks on Wall Street. Now I'm running for Congress to dismantle every oppressive system that denies us the basic necessities to live. This is this is kind of the the logic of the insane asylum that so many progressives use right now, where she made it. An immigrant who is now running for Congress sat across from the CEOs of America and took them on. And somehow seems very paternalistically to to think that the rest of you can't do it, that no one else is capable of doing it, uh, that no one else can leverage the greatness of this country. Uh, and and I, I find this to be the most annoying and sufferable part of, of progressivism today, that somehow you can't do what they did and you must elect them to protect them from people. And, and ultimately, you got to be protected from them because they want to take 
They they want to take the successful uh, things of this country and destroy them. They don't ever want you to be able to take on the CEO because they really don't think you're capable of it. Uh, there's just a, a just a level of contempt I think that they have uh, for everyone else in the country that you're not capable of doing what they did. Somehow they're special and this whole system is is stacked against you and you need to go put them in charge of it. No, uh, we need to break down. We need to break down this idea that you need Congress to protect you. And frankly, we need Congress to stop protecting the Fortune 500. And she will go to Washington, D.C. and put in place systems that actually allow the rich to stay rich and you to never be able to compete. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. And the phone number, if you would like to call in, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Notice how I said that slowly. (laughs) Friends, we must also speak slowly for people like Joe. But y'all, this is, he he has had to spend. uh, So can can we just acknowledge now, you, you guys know my feelings on this election. I just, I hate them all. I just want the election over. At this point, you know, I, I really don't think it matters, and I know this makes some of you mad. Uh, if Donald Trump gets reelected, it is not going to be the end of the world for all of you people who think it is. If Joe Biden gets elected, it's not going to be the end of the world for all of you people who think it is. It, it just, it's just not. Neither of them is competent enough to do anything to make meaningful long-term gains. Uh, they'll do everything by executive order, and the next president will undo it, rinse, wash, repeat. It's just, it's the cycle of what's happening. But it is remarkable to me how the left in this country is fixated with the mental health of Donald Trump and totally chooses to ignore the mental health issues of Joe Biden. It's about respect. It's about honor. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay. That's what we're going to do. Dignity, honor, treating people with dignity. We can build a new administration that reflects the full diversity of our nation and the full diversity of Latino communities. Now, when I mean full diversity, unlike African-American community and many other communities, you're from everywhere, from Europe, from the tip of South America, all the way to our border in in Mexico and in, in the Caribbean and different backgrounds, different different ethnicities, but all Latinos. Oh, well, he has had to spend overnight apologizing for that, saying that there's no diversity in the African-American community. Now, you and I both know what he means, I hope. That uh, when we talk about the African-American community in this country, we mean people who are native-born Americans uh, of black skin color. And when you talk about the Hispanic or the Latino community, we're talking about uh, immigrants from Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, Honduras, Guatemala, uh, you you name it. Uh, the Caribbean, uh, as he said, it's European. Yeah, yeah, okay. But there's a problem here. This goes with a long pattern of Joe Biden saying tone-deaf things. There was the guy the other day who asked him the question, and, and Joe Biden called him a junkie, wanted to know if he was on cocaine. It was a black reporter. Um, notice how that went by the wayside with the media as well. That They ignore that one. Let me see if I can find this one um, because I, I didn't even play this one because uh, I couldn't find the audio, and now I see that it has cropped up on Twitter. Um, Biden junkie. Uh, that should be the video that comes through. 
where, yeah, Joe Biden, here we go. Um, Selection President Trump has made your mental state a campaign topic. And when asked in June if you'd been tested um, for cognitive decline, you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, F, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't, I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am, uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental, my physical as well as my mental fitness. <laughs> And uh, to, uh, you know, to make a judgment about. Okay. Uh, you get the point. Notice how the media, no, notice how the media has totally avoided this. He, he, he asked the black reporter, uh, have you taken cocaine? Are you a junkie? And then he says, I, I, I will let the American people fully judge my mental and physical foot, fit, mental and physical, uh, mental and physical uh, uh, fitness. <laughs> Are we not allowed to point out that, uh, you know, he's got issues too? I mean, everybody wants to focus on this. The Washington Free Beacon, by the way, has put together this great montage of the uh, of of his Joe Biden continuing to do this. I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say that stuff. It, it's actually As somewhat I joke humorous. With him, you know. I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't, I, I probably shouldn't say. Well, I tell you what, uh, well, I shouldn't say anything. Everybody laughs about the, no, I shouldn't say that. I'm not even going to go there. And the president not make false, I shouldn't say false. This president is absolutely, well, I shouldn't say it. We used to say in Claymont, Delaware, he ain't a, I won't get into it. I shouldn't don't say it. <laughs> um, people who were. Uh, Anyway, I, I shouldn't get going on that. That's a stupid way to say it. I shouldn't have said it that way. Buddy, I shouldn't be so casual. A guy, oh, I shouldn't get going. I shouldn't have been such a wise guy. Shouldn't have even said that. And he said, I was asking him, I, anyway, I won't go through the whole story. Go ahead. No, no, I probably best I don't. <laughs> well done to the free beacon, by the way, for that. But seriously. The, the, the media would have you believe there's just something not right there about Donald Trump. They're, they're about to put up a, a cadaverous candidate on the left to run against uh, Donald Trump who stops himself through every sense. Nope, better not say what I'm about to say. And typically it turns out to be some quasi-racist remark, something like the media would go nuts if Donald Trump said. Now, listen, th this is the thing. If Donald Trump had accused, had asked a reporter, are, are, have you taken a test? Are you on cocaine? Are you a junkie? And it was a black reporter. What would the media reaction be? Or with Joe Biden going out there and saying that the, the African-American community is not diverse like the Latino community, what would the media reaction be? 
if you don't have the intellectual honesty to at least acknowledge there's a double standard in how the media is covering these candidates, I just, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You can hate Donald Trump all you want, uh, but you're wish casting on Joe Biden to wish that he wasn't who he is. And by the way, you can hate Joe Biden all you want and, and wish cast on Donald Trump. Donald Trump says terribly offensive things. It's just the truth. And, you know, I tend to take people at the word when they say these things. It, it makes you, what, what, what's up with this person? But the media chooses to fixate on the Donald Trump comments and not the Joe Biden comments. And that is part of the problem here. It is a real problem in my mind uh, that the media chooses to do these sorts of things, that the media chooses to engage in these double standards because it ultimately undermines the media credibility. And I do think a free people need a free press, but that free press to remain free needs real credibility. And the media is willing to get rid of all of its credibility here to help a political candidate and defeat another political candidate. And at this point, it is abundantly obvious that the media has a dog in the fight in ways where many of us on the right long suspected they had, but they did a pretty good job of covering it. They don't even care anymore. They, they just want to get rid of Donald Trump. Many of you do too. Many of you do too. But at least have the intellectual integrity and honesty to acknowledge the fact that the media actually has picked a, picked a side in this. They're not being fair. They're not being balanced. They're not being objective. Uh, they are covering for Joe Biden. They are, you know, you've got members of the media now, not just pundits coming out saying, hey, he doesn't really need to debate Donald Trump. Why? Well, because they know he'll get on stage and say stuff like this. There is a double standard. I don't really care who you're voting for. I don't even care if you're voting. The one thing I, I have made myself a promise this year, I'm not going to demand that you go vote. You know, there's a there's a runoff election here in Bibb County where I am. Uh, on, there are actually runoff elections around the state next week. Uh, and there's one in Bibb County for me. I'm just, I'm not even voting. I, I couldn't care less between the two candidates. I just, I, I, I don't think either one is, is really better than the other. I'm just, I, I'm not engaged in it. I'm not going to tell anyone to go vote. It, it, you know what? Your refusal to vote is as much a vote as as going to vote you you holding your nose say i'm just refuse to participate is as much a rejection as the status quo as you going in and vote I'm, I'm not gonna persuade you to go vote I'll, I'll i'll talk about the election i'll tell you when it is i'll give you the information but i i don't care but if you can't at least acknowledge the double standards right now if you can't acknowledge the hypocrisy if you can't acknowledge the playing up the gaffes of one side and playing down the other side of of amplifying one candidate's negatives and and totally ignoring the other candidate's negatives you're just not being intellectually honest at this point now the trump campaign is seizing on the uh double standard issues and the joe biden issues eric trump was on fox news last night Listen, I mean, what can you say? What can you say about Biden? And, you know, no one covers in the media other than you, Sean. It's absolute travesty. You know, when he says that the black community is not diverse, it's one-dimensional, when he comes out with this nonsense, I mean, could you imagine if Donald Trump said that? And, you know, what? the media doesn't even want to cover it. I mean, that's how biased, that's how in their corner, you know, they are. It's disgusting. This guy doesn't have the mental capacity to be commander-in-chief of this country. Jill Biden is spending more time on TV than than her husband is. The guy won't come out of his basement. He won't answer real questions. He won't debate. You know, Sean, you're going to have you're going to have 16 states, 16 states that started voting. You're going to have 8 million votes cast before the first debate. And it's disgusting and it shouldn't happen. And it's a, it's a travesty. And you know what? This guy is afraid of my father and 
I really believe that these debates are going to be an absolute bloodbath. The fact that you actually have members of, of reporters coming on and, and you've got reporters, members of the media coming on saying, yeah, we don't really need these debates. That's actually really telling when these people are cheering on Joe Biden. Here's Hogan Gidley. I'm not sure why uh, Joe Biden continues to be given cover by the mainstream media for the things he says. Listen, if Donald Trump gets a biased, unfair, ridiculous question from the media and calls them fake news, the media goes apoplectic. But Joe Biden can literally accuse a reporter of being a cocaine junkie and say that all African-Americans are the same. And the media says nothing about it. It's absolutely ridiculous. I wish they gave us the same level of cover and protection. If we, there's one thing we know about the media, it's not just that they're liberal, it's that they protect their own. And make no mistake, Joe Biden is one of them. He is pushing the most radical socialist agenda we've ever seen from the Democrats in history. And the media want the same thing to happen uh, that Joe Biden does. Right. They are pushing for this country to be remade in the image of other countries that, quite frankly, are socialist in nature. And we're seeing it time and time again. And it's funny because the media and the Democrats don't want us to speak and they don't want Joe Biden to speak, but it's for very different reasons. They don't want Donald Trump out on the campaign trail because they know when he talks directly to the American people without the filter of the mainstream media, it resonates and will win because of it. Right. Conversely, if they get Joe Biden out of his hidey hole to say a few words every once in a while, we see massive mistakes and we get to see an agenda that is so radical and so damaging to the future of this country that they would much rather brush that under the rug and keep it away from the American Hogan people Gidley. to see because they know it will never bring this country to a good place. <laughs> okay. I, I, I gotta I gotta give give kudos to Hoagie Gidley for saying Heidi Hole <laughs> on television. Heidi Hole, <laughs> get Joe Biden out of his Heidi Hole. Uh, well, well done, well well done, Hogan Gidley. And but you know there's there there's a method and to the madness here, highlighting the fact that Joe Biden has essentially joined the witness protection program. He comes out in carefully curated events, and even even in the carefully curated events, he can't help but step on himself, and he's got to use the media to cover for him. It's very much like, you know, uh, Barack Obama on the campaign trail in 2008, the, um, the, the uh, what was it, the, the guns and religion comment, how so much of the media tried to cover for him in that one. And then when he became the Democratic nominee, he would say some outrageous stuff on the campaign trail, the guns to knife fight stuff, the, the get in the face of your neighbors and argue with them, that sort of stuff. And the media completely cover for him, completely cover for him. They're doing the same thing for Joe Biden. The difference between now and 2008 really is Twitter. Because now you can see the organized engagement of progressive reporters and how vocal they are in their support for the Democratic Party, where in 2008 you could say, no, 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 this is bias. You're covering, oh, no, we're, we're fair and objective, and this this really isn't a serious story. No, now you can see it for yourself. And it, it actually is a, a good strategy for the Republicans to amplify the Joe Biden comments at every opportunity because otherwise they're not going to get heard in the press. It, it, it's one of my concerns with the president, frankly, in his reelection is that he has a terrible time staying on message. 
And he needs to stay on message. He needs to be able to focus and he needs to be able to repeat the same thing over and over and over so that it sinks in. The American people have no ability to focus, neither does the president. And the president's going to need to focus and be repetitious with stuff so that the American people can let it sink into them that something's just not right with Joe Biden. All right, I, I got a comment on this. Have you all seen the the two kids who they've got, I guess they got a, a YouTube channel or something where they listen to classic hits and react to them. And it, the latest, it's Phil Collins is, um, y'all, it's just, it is hilarious to watch these kids who've never heard this and they are totally into it. Um, it just, it just, it's, it's their, their reaction to, to the drums. It's just, it, it's very funny. Go, go seek this out. Just, just, if you get on social media and you just put in Phil Collins, you will see these two kids reacting to it. It, it is, it is just remarkable to, to see them. They've also done, apparently I got to go find this. Uh, they've done Dolly Parton's Jolene, uh, and, uh, they've done some Johnny Cash as well, where they're just discovering these classic hits and reacting to them. And it's just, it's funny. What, what, what's old is new again. My son loves Johnny Cash. My wife loves the boy named Sue and my kid could listen to it. And of course my wife is a classic rock fan. So ACDC and the like, uh, classic rock. She is, she is all into it in, in ways that have gotten my kids to be into it. Of course, my, now my daughter's huge Taylor Swift fan, but still, uh, the, the classic rock and all they're, they're, they're totally down for this stuff. Um, it, it is, it's, it's just, it's, it's something. Uh, and I am, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with kids willing to go back and find the classics. It's something all of us should do. I, I I'll tell you what I'm not impressed with is the meltdown over people who are TikTok aficionados who think that we need to preserve TikTok. Now, I realize most of you don't care about TikTok, but you should care. I want to make you, to use a phrase I myself coined out, you will be made to care. Now, actually, you really will be made to care uh, because this is a, a significant issue. The, the president of the United States wants, uh, has given 45 days for TikTok to essentially divest itself of Chinese ownership in the United States. Now, China will respond, I suspect, the bigger issue here, I think, is that we've got to convince American teens you got to go elsewhere. If you've got a teenager and your teenager's on TikTok, you, you need them to understand they, they think there's nothing harmless about it. But by installing TikTok on your child's phone, the Chinese are able to get into your child's phone. They can use backdoor algorithms. They can use application uh, protocols. Uh, programming interfaces to get into your kids' phones and dig through their information. They can not only do that, but they can save all your kids' stuff. And and you don't know, you don't know that your child is not privately doing something on TikTok they shouldn't be doing. And the Chinese can capture that data and use it against them one day. Y'all, this is a problem. And the fact that we have American journalists who want to defend TikTok solely because the president's out to get them is a problem. But, it, you know, it's not just the president. Uh, Chuck Schumer also wants TikTok banned. It's not just the president of the United States. Chuck Schumer and, and many of the House and Senate Democrats who are on the intelligence committees 
also wanted to just consider that. Take the president out of the equation. You have the Democrats on the Senate and House Intelligence Committees saying they don't let their family members use TikTok. Why are you letting your family members use TikTok? TikTok's response is to hire a bunch of lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and try to make the case that if Congress gets rid of them, if the president gets rid of them, it's going to cost American jobs. Okay. You know, if you let's just just put it this way. If somehow we were able to snap our finger and end China overnight, we would be putting a lot of reporters and spies out of business who depend on China for their income. Uh, should we not try to do that? Uh, if we have the opportunity, would we? Well, no. We would be we would be causing American reporters to go unemployed because China subsidizes them. No, you would try to do it. It's the same thing with TikTok. It, it, the Chinese have built a surveillance app uh, by letting your kids entertain each other. It's actually pretty genius when you think about it, but that's exactly what's going on. Uh, and you've got to be engaged on your kids' behalf on this issue. It is a huge issue. Not enough people are talking about it. I know I bore everybody with it, but it still needs to be talked about. It is still a problem. And it's a problem that's going to fester unless we do something. And you know they're going to sue. And they're going to get favorable. TikTok is going to sue when the president forces them to divest. And they don't have a buyer. And the media is going to give TikTok even more favorable coverage. And it's all going to be about owning the president, not about the truth. When you have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer saying get rid of TikTok, not just the president of the United States, you know there's an issue that everybody should be paying attention to, and it's amazing how the media won't cover it just because they hate the president of the United States. That's how broken our system of media is right now. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is, if you want to call in and be a part of the show, and it's Friday, so you can call in about other stuff. What is the phone number? It's 87797 Eric. 8779737425. If you want to call in. What do I want? I know what I want to talk about, right? You've seen the Paulding County video, have you not? Uh Paulding County, Georgia. Not the video, it's the photograph. They've suspended the kid. Man, that kid has a lawsuit coming. Uh so so let's let's set the stage here. Uh, a, vid- a a photograph, I believe it was a photo, maybe it was a video. It, it went viral. Let me check. You, you know, in our fact-based, reality-based society, I, I should I should try my best to um, get this uh, going and actually report the focus of it. Um, okay, yep, yep, the photo. Photos of the crowded school hallway, Paulding County. Um, a, a, a child, a, a teen, took a picture of... Paulding County High School, the kids are all packed into the hallway. Nobody's wearing a mask. Well, not everybody's wearing a mask. Most of them aren't. The school was requiring it, and nobody did it, and nobody enforced it, and this, it went viral at North Paulding High School. And, well, the, the kid who took the picture has been suspended for having the audacity to take the picture. Uh, Superintendent Brian Otot, uh, Otot, I don't know, O-T-O-T-T, confirmed one suspension with the AJC and wouldn't say whether it was connected with the photo. Said he couldn't identify the kid because of privacy. Well, Lynn Waters, the mother of one of the students, said the family's challenging the suspension. Cell phone use is allowed in between classes. The sophomore waited until after regular school hours to post to social media. 
they are selectively enforcing the, pool, uh, the the photo and the rule. Other photos have surfaced of other schools, including uh, unmasked students shoulder to shoulder outside Etowah High in Cherokee County. Now, here here's the the issue. Um, the the district schools are running. Says it was all taken out of context. Taken out of context. Um, but. Man, I got to tell you, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen, um, and and it, it is going to be swift and furious, and they deserve to be sued, frankly. They genuinely, I, I think, deserve to be sued for this. Let, let me tell you, here's what the, the, the super, this is what the Paulding County Board of Education says. You're taking one hypothetical situation, boiling it down to a photo taken. There's more to it than that. They're doing damage control. So, oh, don't believe your lion eyes. There was more to it than that. So, so this is my concern, frankly, is schools. And, you know, so my kids used to go to a, a, a school where there were all sorts of rules and they were never enforced. And we got, we had stuff happen to our kids and, and it, it just, the, the disciplinary situation got out of hand and and we finally were like you know what to heck with this we actually the situation at our kids old school got so bad it was a private school and we actually wound up moving one of our kids in the middle of the school year and had to pay tuition at two separate schools had to pay double tuition because they wouldn't let us get out of it despite what was going on and and so we were stuck paying for a school our kid wasn't even going to anymore there was no way we were going to homeschool our kid Instead of keeping our kid in the school with all these rules in place and no enforcement of the rules. And I'm afraid that's going to happen with all the COVID stuff uh, at our kids' old school and other places. Is There's going to be no real enforcement of any of the rules. The rules are kabuki theater designed to make you feel safe and there's no real enforcement. That's the situation with Baldwin County. Uh, they're packing kids in the hallways there without wearing masks uh, when everybody's supposed to wear a mask and they're not. And then they punish the kid who exposes what's going on. Now, here's the thing, because I know some of you think it's really no big deal. There's no reason for them to wear a mask. Okay, that's fine. For the sake of argument, that's fine. But if the rule says to do it, and not only are you not getting people to comply with your rule, but you're punishing the people for exposing that you're not enforcing the rules, you should have a problem with that. And I don't, I don't know what they are now. Okay. Should we open the schools or not? So I subscribe to, to Substack. I've got a Substack email newsletter, ewerickson.substack.com. And I subscribe to one as a guy, we we follow each other on, on social media. Um, uh, Political math is his, his name. And he sends out a, he calls it very, very humorously, marginally compelling information. And I, I want to um, I, I, I want to read you part of what he writes. The question of school reopening is pretty intense. At the forefront of the conversation is Georgia, where schools uh, which start schools up quite early. Some Atlanta suburbs have already started school, which has led to some concern about the schools that are meeting in person and if they will be safe or if they will trigger additional COVID outbreaks. There are separate studies out now, one saying open schools and one saying don't open schools. It is only in the last few months that I've seen in, in, in any of Emily Alster's work 
And that's my deep regret. Alster writes on Substack about pregnancy and parenting data, but recently shifted to write about COVID. She is thoughtful, thorough, careful. Uh, I've been impressed with her work. And last week, Alster wrote about her work attempting to figure out how risky it is to send back to schools. The too long, didn't read version is that uh, we can all draw our own conclusions from analysis, but it does appear that uh, it's okay. Oster looked at numbers of COVID outbreaks in summer camps and daycare centers. Her goal was to try to evaluate how risky it really is to send kids back to school this fall. She looked at state data and media reports, reached out to readers to supply additional data. Uh, She sees evidence that it is possible to operate schools without substantial outbreaks. She looks at camps and childcare facilities and notes that many of these places manage to identify cases without those cases turning into clusters, which then in turn turn into outbreaks. But she emphasized the data is spotty. In contrast, we have a study that comes from an evaluation of Italy's contact tracing that suggests young children, pay attention to this, young children might present a higher level of contagiousness than any age group, contrary to the prevailing opinions right now. Simply put, the worry is that while children are overall at lower risk of sickness and death, they are at higher risk of being asymptomatic. They may not get sick, but they can come home and get their parents or grandparents sick. This is a preprint study of contact tracing in in uh, Torino, Italy. Children aged 0 to 14, so newborns to 14, are slightly less likely to be infected than adults, 8.4% versus 13.3%, but are more likely to transmit the virus, 22% to 13%. This is worrying information, but it's got to be interpreted within the context of the caveats. It could be, for example, that children and young adults may be less likely to have symptoms than adults, and we have underestimated secondary attack rates in the younger age group. Second, in the evaluation of contagiousness, the number of cases among children was relatively small, and the number of, as was the number of contacts, because schools were closed during all but one week of the study. So, what are we to make of it? Well, the exhausting conclusion are not entirely contradictory. Oster's work suggests that managing infections in an educational environment is possible. The contact tracing study suggests there's a high risk of transmission among young people. These are very different things and both can be true. The different part of this is that these decisions and evaluations need to be made on a very low level, school by school, classroom by classroom. School districts that are more careful and in a region with lower infections can probably open, but they've got to remain diligent. And that I think is the fair analysis of this. Now, I I don't want to keep spending all of my time on schools education, but it is a compelling issue and there's a lot of concern for people whose kids are going back to school. Let me tell you what I think. I am not an expert, but I read the experts. I am not a scientist, but I read the scientists. I am not an epidemiologist, but I talk to the epidemiologists. Open your schools. Open the schools. Kids need to be in school. There are parents who are incapable of helping their kids with their homework effectively or their schoolwork effectively or homeschooling their kids effectively. Their kids need to be in school. It is good for kids for social interaction to be in school. But here are the caveats. One, you should advise parents of a couple of things. And yes, this this is my broken record time because I've done this now three days in a row and y'all are all gonna get tired of it. And I think it's that important to do. I am I am mindful, I am repeating myself, but it is that important to do. 
I think schools should be open. I, I think the data shows that now we know elementary school kids can get the virus and spread the virus and may actually spread the virus at a rate higher than we thought. But I think that it is worth having kids in school so that they don't fall behind. I think that there are going to be plenty of poorer parents who cannot do the homeschooling. Uh, the technology required is cost prohibitive. Uh, the, the, they don't have the, the means or capability of helping. They need their kids in school. And I think this is a risk benefit analysis. And I think that the risk uh, is outweighed by the benefit of having kids in school. That being said, there are things that all of us have to do. Um, if your kid has even the slightest hint of being sick, don't send your kid to school. Don't mask the symptoms. Uh, take one for the team and keep your kid home. Uh, I think that elementary schools, if your elementary school does not have a COVID-19 plan because the thinking had originally been that elementary schools don't need to worry about it, you better start worrying about it and you better figure it out. Uh, don't keep, Don't pile kids in hallways. Limit the number of kids going to the restroom at a time. Closed lunchrooms. Don't let kids eat clustered together in lunchrooms. Monitor kids, take their temperatures, do random temperature checks, uh, do those sorts of things. If you can upgrade HVAC systems at your school, uh, you can put in uh, UV light filtration or hydrogen peroxide misters within the HVAC systems. Do that uh, to clean the air in the schools. There's a lot of mixed data out there right now on whether or not air recirculation uh, can spread the virus. There's compelling data out there that stagnant air does Spread the virus, so you should keep air flowing at all times in classrooms, uh, you, whether you're using fans or whatnot to keep air moving in rooms, uh, to keep air recirculated, to clean the air as it's recirculated. You want to do that. Um, you don't need to put air purifiers in rooms because actually the air purifiers don't seem to work. Um, the virus has to pull, be pulled all the way across the room and not impact anyone else to get to the air purifier. There are ways to reopen schools. There are ways to do it well, uh, but it depends on a community effort to be engaged. The number one issue, the number one issue about reopening schools, and, and if you listen to nothing else to me this entire week, hear me now on this issue. The number one issue with opening schools is parents do not send your child to school if they even hint at not feeling well. If you've come into contact with people you think are sick, do not send your children to school. Quarantine them at home. The school will work with you. Do not give your child Tylenol, Benadryl, Advil, Dimetab, anything, and send them off to school to mask symptoms. Do not do it. And for every single person out there who thinks it's not going to impact them, it's not going to hurt them, and if they do, it's going to be minor, it's going to be like the flu, and it's going to be manageable, remember that there are people in your school, there are kids in your school who have medically fragile family members. And it's not you and your family, it is your community. Love your neighbor, seek the welfare of your community, and that means remind yourself every day that there are people who could become deathly ill of this virus if you send your kid to school and your kid unknowingly is sick. Um, it's not about you and your kid. It's about everyone else in your school. If we work together, we can do this. If we work together, we can keep the virus at bay. Uh, if you're a high school kid, uh, if you're a parent of a high school kid, encourage them to wear masks and keep them on, particularly if they're in hallways. Limit uh, the ability of kids to, to pile in together in hallways. Keep them out of lunchrooms. And you know what? As much as you can be outside, if you're a teacher, as much as you can teach the kids outside, go do your class instruction outside. We cannot find a case of this virus that has been spread by people spread out outside. 
There are certainly cases of people tightly clustered together in protests who spread it where they're standing shoulder to shoulder. Uh, but in general, if you're outside, you minimize the risks. Uh, I, I, I know uh, schools that are going to be just constantly cleaning playgrounds and stuff. We actually have a lot of data now uh, that that may not be as necessary as we used to think. What is more necessary is managing airflow indoors and managing crowds indoors. But do what you can to be vigilant. All of us together can pull together and all of us together can get our kids back in school. It is important for our kids to be in school, but it's going to take every single person exercising a level of responsibility to make it happen. But we can do this. We need to do this. We just all have to step up to the plate and recognize, you know what? We're not going to have perfect attendance awards this year. If your kid isn't feeling good, don't send them to school. And when they're at school, keep them as separated as possible from everybody else. And when they're in crowded areas, make them wear a mask and avoid crowded areas, lunchrooms, things like that as much as possible. And guess what? We can do this. Real-time update, and thanks to listener Chad in Paulding County who said there actually isn't a, a mandatory mask uh, rule up there. It is if parents want their kids to wear masks do, and, well, no one's sending their kids to school with masks uh, or the kids aren't wearing them at school. So there there you go. No mandatory mask rule up there. Um, but, man, it, it certainly did get people freaked out. Listen, you, you know, you probably can homeschool your child, although a lot of people can't. That You know, that that's my big concern here, honestly. If I'm really honest about what I think, it's that as the left continues to amplify the idea of uh, of a um, rich versus poor gap in this country, the virus is exacerbating it and not because Jeff Bezos is making money because everybody's ordering from Amazon these days. It is in education. Uh, kids who are going to to schools, whether they're good or bad right now, uh, are less and less able at this moment to get a good education if they can't be in a school. I mean, and, and, you know, a lot of kids aren't getting good education anyway uh, when they go to public schools, and this just exacerbates the problem. And that is in my mind a an issue that we're going to have to address let's take georgia for just example why because i live in georgia we've got whole sections of the state of georgia that have terrible 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 internet access in fact the entire state legislature seems to be on a mission to get high speed internet to rural parts of the state just so people might live there instead of moving to atlanta just so businesses might come there instead of instead of all setting up shop in Atlanta. And the parents who live in those areas uh, tend to be poor. They may not have access to the latest computer that can handle the latest Zoom feed, that can handle the latest uh, HD feed from the school. And they're on internet lines, they can't handle it anyway. And so their kids fall further and further behind. And what's happening is there is a real incentive given the situation for people to leave behind rural parts of the state and move to more urban parts of the state, which then creates the cycle of, of more and more people leaving and schools and, and local communities collapsing and closing up shopping. That's a real problem. And when you've got kids who can't get a good education because their school's not open, that's a real problem. But I want to highlight some good news for you. We are trending in the right direction right now in Georgia. In fact, 
Georgia is now officially listed as a state where the virus is in decline. Uh, it is in decline in the daily reporting, and it is in decline in the uh, daily number of, of cases based on onset. Even the New York Times now has moved Georgia from a state where it is stable to a state where it is in decline. Uh, the rate of transmission in Georgia, there's a great website, rt.live. You can go to rt.live, and in the rt.live website, uh, the Georgia rate of transmission is holding steady at 0.95. As long as it's below one, it means it, the virus is in decline. Remember how the media just two weeks ago was attacking Arizona as, as being a failure? Uh, Arizona now has the uh, lowest uh, rate of transmission in the nation. And uh, guess which state has the highest? That would be Hawaii. And then Nevada is second highest in the nation right now with rate of transmission. Now, I actually want to spend a moment uh, talking about that issue when we come back. Uh, we've also got coming up the governor of the state of Georgia. I actually sat down with him and interviewed him last night. The governor has been reaching out to hospitals around the state, coordinating activity and coordinating care around the state. Uh, it is worth listening to what the governor has to say about this, particularly because, you know, there, there are a lot of there are liberal leaning teachers. And let's let's be honest here. They're people who voted for Stacey Abrams to begin with. They, they don't like them anyway. They don't like Kemp. And they're all, he's not giving us any help and we're all going to die. You know, he's actually working very hard to make sure that teachers are taken care of. And it, the th most annoying trend in local media right now is you can find someone who just wants to spare, spread fear porn uh, about the virus and attack Governor Kemp and the media is going to give them a bully pulpit, give them a soapbox and an open microphone to attack the man when he actually is spending all sorts of energy making sure that our schools can be open. But again, it all comes down to personal responsibility as well in, in how you engage the issue. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I, so at the top of the hour, I've got, I, I sat down with Governor Kemp. I, I'm, I'm going to wait until the top of the next hour to, to play it. He's been coordinating with hospitals, upping, uh, testing and other things. Uh, right now I, I need to let you know, uh, Britt Scrocroft, uh, Brent Scrocroft died last night. Uh, he was, if you will recall, the uh, national security advisor for George H.W. Bush. He worked for Ronald Reagan. Uh, he helped uh, mobilize the war effort in the Iraq war in the 1990s. Uh, the man was just impressive as all get out and really set the standard for national security advisors to presidents. Uh, and a big loss for the nation. He was just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I, I wanted I wanted to, to point that out. I also uh, need to tell you that I I got so many requests, and I need to I need to explain. I, I I've really got to explain um, this and, and set this up. I don't use a script, and I realize there are some people in talk radio who use, who some people, I, I know a couple of people um, who, who have writers who write for them 
in talk radio as there are days I wish I had one where I can just read a teleprompter or something. Um, but nope, everything I do for better or worse, sometimes really for worse, it's all off the top of my head. I, I don't have a script. In fact, what I do in the mornings, I get up, I do a general outline of here are the things I want to make sure I talk about relevant links to stories so I can easily have access to them. I don't have to go digging through Slack or something to find them. And nine others did like, like at this very moment, I'm not even looking at the, I've gone off so far off. But hey, when, when we get to the end of the show, I'm like, what was I going to talk about? I can pull up my, oh, I forgot about this subject here. But so yeah, I, I say all of that because yesterday, just off the top of my head or, or out of my backside, I, I have what I think is a good idea. I, I think instead of having his acceptance speech for the Republican nomination on the South Lawn of the White House, as uh, some of the Trump advisors want, I think the president should go to a revolutionary war place. Now, I originally said yesterday, Old North Bridge was where the the, the first action in the revolution happened there uh, with Lexington and Concord but, but between the But everyone I've talked to, I've never been there. Everyone said it, it's almost, it would be impossible for staging it. It's just, it's, it's too cramped. He couldn't do it. But Yorktown, Yorktown is a place he could go. A friend of mine suggested Yorktown. Actually, maybe it was a caller. Caller yesterday actually suggested Yorktown. That's where the British surrendered. And so I, I was making this point and said, and here's what I would say. And I just started riffing. Y'all, there, there was no script. It was off the top of my head. Uh, and and everyone's, I want a tra- you need to, I need a transcript. You, you got you to gotta send me. I don't have a script. I just said it off the top of my head. So last night before I went to bed, I sat down and wrote what I think should be the president's address. If I were the president's speechwriter, here is the address I would give to the president. Now, I'm going to read this because I actually wrote it down. And if you want to see it, uh, it's ewerickson.substack.com or Philip is going to put it up at theresurgent.com. You can go to the resurgent. You know, you can live stream the show now. If you're traveling, you can go to theresurgent.com and, and hear the show. We, we now have a live stream up. But now, here. Here now, if I were, I'm not even going to attempt a Donald Trump accent. I'm just going to read this as I wrote it. We would have to tweak it to put it in his own words. This would just be the first draft. You know, with a speechwriter, typically, you write it, uh, you write out the speech the way you think he should give it, doing your best to try to reflect him and then give it to him, and he marks it up and puts it more into his own words, and, and you work with him. It's, it's a series of drafts. This is the first draft. It's not perfect, but... <clears throat> my fellow Americans, remember, he's at Yorktown now. He's, at, he's, he's delivering his acceptance speech for the Republican nomination at Yorktown, where the British surrendered in the Revolutionary War. The whole point is to tie the, the protests and agitators who want to revise American history and say we're a bad country to his reelection and his defense of the American dream. And, and here we go. My fellow Americans, 244 years ago, our founders pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to a cause greater than themselves. They believed in the idea of America, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Here at Yorktown, five long years later, the British finally gave up their right to control our American destiny, and we picked up the right to chart a new way forward in the world. Our way forward was a way without a king. It would be a way forward based on merit. 
It was not perfect. Our founders knew it was not perfect, and they were far wiser than many of the people around today. The people at the New York Times that have committed a lying about our founding could not hold a candle to the men who crossed the Delaware River at night to surprise the British. The rioters in the street who were throwing temper tantrums would not have the guts and character to commit to a cause like America. Millions of people struggle every year to try to come to America. We have seen them flooding our border so desperate to come. But here we see progressives want to burn down and destroy and reject the greatness of America because they cannot see the goodness of America. And these people are siding with my opponent and my opponent is siding with them. Why would they do that? They would do that because they reject the vision of our founders, the vision of a country where all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We call that the American dream. People have died defending that dream, and that dream has inspired so many to come here for a better life. But Joe Biden and the left would end that dream. My family became wealthy because of that dream. Joe Biden's family became wealthy because Joe Biden became a career politician. My family worked in the private sector to earn our money. Joe Biden's family worked off Joe Biden's government career. My family has been blessed by the meritocracy of the American dream. Joe Biden's family has been blessed by Joe being a politician. It should not be that in this country you have to know the powerful and influential to get ahead, but that's the aristocracy that we defeated at Yorktown. That's what Joe Biden's America would bring us, where you what you know and how good you are is less important than who you know. That's not America, but that's Joe Biden's 40 years as a career politician. Both Joe Biden and I have names on the side of buildings, but my name is on the side of buildings built in the private sector, and Joe's name is on government buildings. You shouldn't have to spend 40 years as a politician to get your name on a building, but that's Joe Biden's America. My America is the vision of our founders. In my America, David really can slay Goliath. In Joe Biden's America, Goliath can hire Joe Biden's family to protect himself and regulate David out of business. In Joe Biden's America, the rich keep getting richer, sleeping well at night, knowing the government will protect their largesse so long as they donate to progressive causes, keep their mouths shut about China, and refuse to serve police officers. In Donald Trump's America, the rich man today can be the poor man tomorrow because the people with the best idea can innovate, compete, and defeat the competition. 239 years ago, right here at Yorktown, General Cornwallis surrendered to George Washington, and our new nation began to take shape. Ours was and remains a nation with different states and different people who speak with different accents and have different preferences on what their lives should be and their destiny should be. The genius of our founders was that they knew a diverse people should give a little power to Washington and keep the rest of the power for the states and the people. They knew there would be great tasks ahead. Some were postponed so long that the dam of justice burst forth, burst forth and flooded the land with blood and war as the waters of justice rolled down over Gettysburg and Antietam and Appomattox Courthouse. The righteousness of the American vision of our founders, sanctified in the blood of Union soldiers, continues like ever-flowing water. We strive continuously to grasp at the founders' vision, knowing we will never quite grasp it, but it is the pursuit that matters. Here now, though, we've got the great divide. Joe Biden's loudest supporters would bring up General Cornwallis's sword and reestablish an aristocracy. Instead of red, croats, red coats, it'll be enforced by black-clad Antifa rioters who bully businesses and individuals and thrive through your silence. 
Joe Biden winning would be an affirmation of the mob violence and a defeat of the founders' more perfect union. Joe Biden's winning would take the diversity of America and make it one size fits all. Instead of you and the people of your state charting your course, everything would be determined by unaccountable bureaucrats and lobbyists in Washington. That is the Joe Biden way. It is the only way he has ever known because the only job he's ever had has been a politician, a swamp rat lording it over the swamp in Washington. Joe Biden would raise taxes and increase regulation and take away your freedom to live your life as you see fit. He would be backed by a mob that wants to drive you from your jobs and burn your businesses if you don't embrace their agenda. Joe Biden would pursue a job-killing Green New Deal that would bankrupt our nation and extinguish the American dream. Even now, with a deadly virus from China spreading across the nation, Joe Biden, the Democrat and the liars and the fake news media would rather politicize it than fight it. They'd rather it spread and wreck the economy in hopes of defeating me, but I trust the American people will defeat the virus and we will make America great again. We already did it before the virus wrecked chaos. You can turn on the fake news media every night and see Joe Biden's vision of America during the virus. It's Andrew Cuomo's America where senior citizens are sent to die in nursing homes while spreading the virus. Jews and Christians cannot meet and worship, and rioters can march through the street burning businesses with no accountability. I'll keep you safe. I will get you back to work. Joe Biden will make the elderly fend for themselves, isolated from their families, while refusing to stand up to the left that would burn your business and regulate you out of business in the name of a Green New Deal. The choice could not be more clear. My fellow Americans, I accept the Republican Party's nomination for president of the United States because the party of Lincoln that committed itself to the cause of a more perfect union must now stand up for the silent masses too scared to speak up. The party of Reagan that fought the communists must now stand up for free markets and free people against a Democratic Party more committed to socialism than ever before. The Democrats are the blame America first crowd. They're ashamed of our country and of you. They want to tear down our institutions and our monuments and defund our police and burn down dissidents. I stand against that because I stand for you and the American dream. In 1787, at the close of our Constitutional Convention, after having observed George Washington presiding over the formation of our new Constitutional Republic, Ben Franklin remarked of Washington's chair that had a son on it. I have often seen at that behind the president without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting, but now I know it is a rising sun. Frankly, would go on to say we have a republic if we can keep it. My fellow Americans, the sun is always rising on us. Our best days are always ahead of us, but only so long as we can keep our republic. Together, we will move past the virus and the rudderless mobs of malcontents allied with a career politician who only knows the Washington way, not the American way. And we will get to that more perfect union. That's my proposal. I've made sure he's seen it. I wrote it down because y'all wanted me to write it down. That's what I would say. I think it makes a clear contrast with Joe Biden. Now, let's be honest. It's probably not going to happen. I, I I don't think the president is surrounded with a team of bold thinkers at this point. I, I, I don't think that the, the president is surrounded with a team capable of getting him to stay on message. I don't know that the president is capable of the message discipline necessary to pull this off because here's the thing. Uh, you gotta, you gotta say this and you gotta say it over and over and over and over and over. And you gotta repeat it. Joe Biden is a creature of the swamp. Joe Biden is a creature of Washington. Joe Biden is a guy who believes in the government way, not the American way. Joe Biden is a guy who believes in the government dream, not 
about the American dream. Joe Biden is the guy whose family got rich off government. Donald Trump is the man whose family got rich off the American dream. There's nothing wrong with getting rich in this country, but there's something greatly wrong when your family becomes a family of millionaires because one of you works for government and can steer contracts your way or your kids can use those government connections to profit themselves. I This is the message that works with the American people. Because one thing Americans do not like is people going to Washington and getting rich off being in government. And you make that your theme and you say it over and 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 over. And every single thing is with Donald Trump. Mr. President, what is your plan to fight the virus? You know, we've got a good plan to fight the virus. We're relying on the states and the American people. Joe Biden, unfortunately, would not only rely on government, but we've seen how his family gets rich often exploits the American people through their contacts in government. We can't put Joe Biden in charge of this because there's no guarantee he wouldn't keep this virus around so his kids could profit off of it. Mr. President, what is your plan for Israel? Well, my plan for Israel is to rely on the American people and the goodness of the American people. Joe Biden's plan is to rely on government bureaucrats who always screw this stuff up. I put the embassy in Jerusalem. Joe Biden would never have even done it because he would have been held hostage by the bureaucrats. And on and on, it's the perfect message for this guy to run against Joe Biden. I just don't know that they'll do it. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. So I don't know if you have heard, I'm assuming you've heard. There is a, the students at UGA uh, are, are great multitaskers. They have decided to stage a die-in and what it actually is, is that they, they are, you can't make this up. So if you haven't seen the news, at the University of Georgia, uh, some students have staged a die-in. And they literally, literally are working on their suntans, holding up signs uh, that denounce the reopening plans of the University of Georgia, that they are they are spread out on the lawn at the University of Georgia pretending to die when actually what they're doing is working on their suntans, holding up signs protesting the reopening of the University of Georgia. I, I don't know if they got the memo. They, they, they may not have gotten the memo, but no one is actually making them go. I I know this is this is hard for some people to understand here. But no one is actually making you go. No one is actually making you do anything. No one is actually making you go into the classroom. You don't have to do it. Uh you you're dying where you're all now they're they're socially they're all six feet apart, laying on their towels, working on their sundance, holding up signs. No, no one's making them go. I, I you know, I, I looked, I, I went to the University of Georgia website and, and I looked uh, and I looked for the details. I, I, I don't see where anybody is forcing any teen or, or young adult to go to the University of Georgia. I, I, I have not found any compulsory requirements for anyone to go to the University of Georgia. You, you don't have to go. And, you know, they, they've revised their guidelines. I don't know if you guys have heard, as of late yesterday, 
essentially the, the new guidelines at the University of Georgia are if you are anywhere inside any building at the University of Georgia except in your own dorm room, you've got to wear a mask. It will be an enforceable rule. You've got to wear a mask. If you're on an elevator, you got to wear a mask. If you're in the lunchroom, you got to wear a mask. There may not even be lunchrooms. If you're in a classroom, you got to wear a mask. If you're walking down the hall of your dorm room, you got to wear a mask. If you're standing at a bus stop, you have to wear a mask. If you're on a UGA bus, you have to wear a mask. That That is the new rules for the University of Georgia. And, and these kids are, we don't want to go back to school. We don't want you to make us go back to school. We don't like your plans. You're all going to die. You don't have to go. No, no one's made you go. You can... I, I mean, you know how many colleges and universities we have in Georgia? I mean, pick one without a lot of people and go to that one. You don't have to go to the University of Georgia. You can get a very good education at at, um, at Middle Georgia College. You can get it at uh, Macon. So what is it? Macon State is now. I, I They keep changing the names on me. Uh, you, you go down to Milledgeville. Go there. Go to Cochrane. Go 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 to Savannah. Go go to Abraham Baldwin. Go, go to Kennesaw State. Go. Go to Georgia Tech. You don't have to go to the University of Georgia. And you're dying in is just a it's a ridiculous farce when really all you're doing is working on your suntan. I'm sorry if that upsets some of you, but that's the reality of it. You you can call and we can hug it out. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. When we come back, I sat down with the governor of the state of Georgia who is getting attacked by people, you know, so here's, here's, this is, this is increasingly becoming a pet peeve of mine. I, I think I, I, given how divisive 2018 was in Georgia, at this point, I really think if you're going to allow someone to come on your TV or radio station and cry about the governor, he just, he's not helping us and we're going to get sick with the advice because the governor's not giving us a lot of time. <laughs> I have a question. Did you vote for Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams? Because I'm telling you, that is what's going on here. That That's what's happening is we got a bunch of these activists who supported Stacey Abrams anyway, who are rushing to the nearest microphone and camera to say, Brian Kemp's going to be mean to me and we're all going to die because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And they didn't like him to begin with. That they voted for Stacey Abrams to begin with. That they they were Stacey Abrams supporters. I mean, it's kind of like we, we've had doctors on television in Georgia attacking Brian Kemp. Come to find out, they were actually helping Stacey Abrams with various lawsuits. I mean, full disclosure here, ple- people. Please, can we have some full disclosure? The governor's actually doing what he can. No, he's not mandating masks, but the man's going on a statewide tour demanding people wear masks. He's not mandating it. He wants people to do the right thing. And listen, if he were to mandate you to do the right thing, you wouldn't do it anyway if you don't want to do it. And then what's going to happen? You're all going to get thrown in jail? No. Uh, Breakdown of the rule of law. I, 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 I disagree with him on the issue, but I understand his philosophical concern. When we come back, though, I sat down with the governor of Georgia. I asked him about this stuff. I let him respond to the whiny teachers who voted for Stacey Abrams. And I want you to be able to hear him in his own words. Question. Question, do you know why you should always take an extra pair of socks when you go play golf? Any idea why why you need an extra 
pair of socks when you go play golf. When you go to the golf course, take an extra pair of socks always. You know why? Well, you can get a hole in one. <laughs> Boo! Yes, yes, I know. Come on. Wake up, people. It's Friday. It's almost the weekend. The phone number here, it is Eric Erickson, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Uh, but you can't call in at this very moment because uh, this will be our, our short shortened uh, bit of the day uh, because I, I well, just as normally it, I can talk for about 15 minutes here. But I pre-recorded an interview with the governor. Before I get to that, I've got to do my advertising duties here and tell you that this hour is brought to you by True Precision. And it's not really a duty. It is a privilege to be able to tell you they're such a cool advertiser. Uh, I love these guys. True-Precision.com is their website. Many of you are checking them out. I'm trying to send them business. Look, me getting you to go check out an advertiser helps me, but you going to True Precision helps you. Why? Because, well, they're awesome. Uh, they upgrade. In fact, I'm going to go to their website just for you. Uh, it is true-precision.com. Uh, now, for those of you who are online, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this where I have the ability to show you what I'm seeing on my screen. And uh, you can see True Precision. They have Axiom triggers for Glocks. They have uh, P365XL barrels. So you can get barrels for different guns. You can get slides. Uh, you can get them for SIG. You can get them for Glock. You got titanium slide plates. Uh, they've got triggers. Y'all, they're just, they do such a good job. I've got this incredible Glock 43X from them. And it is, it's just a work of art. Uh, and you can get, for example, you can get the slides and the barrels. Uh, you can add it. You can buy them online. Uh, you can get them from True Precision. You can get a discount. If you buy from them, you put Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in as your uh, checkout code, and you get 10% off. They are a great, great, great uh, company, and they do just excellent things, and they make really cool guns. I, I told the story. I was up at um, – I went to uh, Stoddard's in Midtown Atlanta. Great, great gun range. and was in there with a buddy of mine, and I had my concealed carry – that I designed with true precision and people wanted to, they wanted to check it out. They, they loved my gun. I love my gun and I got it at true precision. So the website again is true-precision.com. That's their website, true-precision.com. And you go, you put Eric, you order what you want online, the barrels or slides or triggers, um, slide plates. And at checkout, you put in E-R-I-C-K as your checkout code and you get 10% off. And thank you to a really awesome sponsor of this program, being a really awesome sponsor. Now, I want to play for you again. I pre-recorded this. It is from yesterday evening on my evening show in Atlanta, uh, my conversation with Governor Kemp uh, about what's going on uh, with the virus update in the state of Georgia. I'm taking phone calls from a very important person, the governor of the state of Georgia, Governor Kemp, joining me. How are you? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. So it, it, we've got real progress, it looks like, in the state turning the corner on this virus right now between hospitalizations, number of daily counts, and, and the testing. Well, we definitely do, but we got to stay after it. Uh, we cannot just uh, take this good news we got today. we got to double down for a couple more weeks. That's what we've been asking people to do, do four things for four weeks, wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands, and follow the current guidelines earlier on the you open the show 
seven averages that we're seeing in hospitalization rates. It's the lowest since July 18th. Our seven-day average of reported cases, July 12th. Uh, I think you mentioned the percent positive today was 10.3, which is getting where we need to be. Um, and that's uh, the lowest since June 23rd. So we're, we're moving in the right direction. I'm also hearing really good things. I had a Metro Atlanta C hospital CEO called today and got an update from everyone. Uh, they're in a lot better shape now than they were two weeks ago. Uh, still dealing with some staffing issues, which the state's helping and with them with that. And then we've got the additional bed capacity. You know, we've stood up at the World Congress Center and then working with Piedmont in their tower. So that in, in conjunction with the number of hospitalization, COVID patients going down in the existing beds that we have is really good news. That is good news. So what are you hearing from the hospital CEOs out there? Because I, I know listening to some of the media buzz out there, uh, there just seems to be a concern about hospitalizations and can they handle the patients? And, and it seems like the hospitals are really stepping up and, and they've they've got the capacity if something were to change, but that it looks like we're doing what needs to be done. Well, I definitely think that's the case. And I think people, it's very frustrating with some of the mainstream media because they're reporting how full the hospitals are, but it's not necessarily COVID patients that are causing that. And I want to encourage people because of this capacity that we have now to go ahead and keep doing elective surgeries to get their cancer screenings and treatments. It's safe to be able to do that. That's the reason we're standing up this extra bed capacity is to help the help Georgians, first of all, have good health outcomes and not put, you know, important procedures and, and screenings off. But number two, it helps the financial viability of the hospitals. And that's what's not really getting written. I mean, look, if we shut down elective surgeries like we did before, we could have, you know, 30, probably 40 percent capacity in the hospitals, but they'd be going broke and laying off doctors and nurses like they did you know, several months ago, and that's that's not what we need to do. It's not good for our economy, and it's not good for the health of Georgians. You know, there are smaller hospitals and, and some others that have experienced, you know, a definite surge, and we've been working with them to get through that. Uh, the metro area, I think, is on the back side of that now, uh, which is really good for the rest of the hospitals in the state if they need to balance their load. And uh, we have put some financial resources over at Grady into the coordinating center, which is really helping every hospital system in Georgia to load balance right now. And they told me today that 70% of the hospitals are actually calling in and using that uh, facility, which, which really makes things more efficient on where to put patients, you know, if there is a strain on a local hospital somewhere. Governor, um, can you talk a little bit more about this facility? Because I've talked about it a little bit on, on radio, just the, the coordination that the hospitals are doing uh, just to make sure that nobody is, is overtaxed. Yeah, and really this was set up several months ago when the water main busted at Grady during the SEC championship football game, if you remember that. And it was really yeah, the balance yes, I do. the – yeah, it, it was really to balance the um, EMT traffic. Your ambulances in the metro area, so you, they could tell those drivers and um, EMT folks where where to take people, where they need to take them to Kennestown up in, in Marietta, or where they need to go to Grady or 
you know, Piedmont or, or wherever to help make sure you're getting people somewhere where they can get an emergency room bed. And what we've done is, is help them with some financial help to be able to expand that, basically have a statewide call call center and coordinate not only that EMT traffic in the metro area, but basically bed space load capacity statewide, which is huge, especially for these smaller systems there, you know, where you have somewhere like Tifton where we saw at one point, you know, they were at capacity. You remember early on Phoebe down in Albany had the same situation. And this just really streamlines that. It's only been open and, and working for a couple of days. We've been working the kinks out of it. But, um, you know, in the next few days, we're going to have that thing where it's a well-oiled machine, and it's, it's going to be very helpful, I believe. Now, with that coordination out there, what's the, the situation with testing in the state? Um, how, how does it look right now compared to where we have been? Well, I think we're doing better on testing than we were two or three weeks ago. You know, I was very frustrated. A lot of the private labs got very backed up because of the demand, not just here in Georgia, but all over the country. And, you know, we, we've heard that from, from other states and other governors on the vice president, uh, vice president Prince's call with the national coronavirus task force. And that's why we did the contract with Mako. So we're going to be focused on, um, you know, part of the metro area with the Mako testing lab, that's going to give us an additional 10,000 tests a day to be able to do, which would be a big help. We're working on some other things right now that we hope to be announcing in the next few days that will help continue to focus on more of the south metro area, um, Fulton, Clayton counties and, and the like to make sure that we're continuing to focus on, you know, any flare-ups we have in the metro region. And, you know, the rest of our health labs, the public health labs, the one the state's running, Dr. Toomey's team, uh, they're actually doing pretty well. Um, and we just got to stay after the testing. Uh, we're, she told me uh, two days ago we're going to have up to 2,000 contact tracers here in the next week or so. That's working very well, you know, really running down the, the outbreaks that we're seeing um, so, you know, we got a lot of really good things going on, but, it, but it's the people that's going to help us there. It's, it's your listeners doing the things that we're asking. You know, if you can't socially distance when you go out to a grocery store or, you know, somewhere else, you wear a mask, you know, wash your hands, and, and we just got to make sure we're enforcing the existing guidelines that we have on our, you know, restaurants, bars, and other facilities. We're very confident that people follow that, you know, we can continue to reopen safely. And, uh, you know, that's what we're working through right now in the schools. We've sent out, gosh, millions of supplies to the school, 2.5 million masks, hand sanitizers, uh, cleaning supplies, the the sprayer that, that you use this new cleaning solution that really kills pretty much everything. We've donated or given those to the schools, much like we did the nursing homes and long-term care facilities. So we're trying to give the schools everything that they need to open safely. Uh, some of them are, some of them aren't. We're leaving that to local control. And, you know, there's been a, been a few hiccups out there and some positive tests, which we said all along we were going to have. But I've also heard from a lot of superintendents that said people are really happy to be back. It's going well, and, and they're continuing to monitor. And we're, we're keeping a close eye on that. I talked to three different physicians groups today, um, the pediatricians was one of them and the family practice doctors 
was the other one, and they're all working with their local school systems and watching that very closely, too, to see if we're seeing any trends that are happening in the schools and making sure that we're staying on top of that. Well, look, I, I, our time is short, but I, I just I wanted to give you one one more minute here before we we let you go. There was a teacher who we played a soundbite during the news who said she felt like no one was with the teachers right now. The schools weren't, that you weren't, the president wasn't. And I just I, I want to give you just the opportunity more broadly here, just to to address the concerns that uh, some of these people have uh, that they feel like they've got no support, and and just get you to respond to it. Well, I, I'm certainly, you know, I'm sorry that that person feels that way, but I can tell you that we have had great communication with Superintendent Woods' office, with the, the superintendents, with a lot of the educational leaders our whole team has. I mean, we have made Dr. Toomey available uh, to work with any and all of those groups to give guidance, and that's what we've done. I mean, we haven't put mandates on the school. We've tried to give them good guidance based on what the CDC say, and on what Dr. Toomey's team is saying, and she's been talking to the pediatricians and others to make sure and the superintendents have the tools and, and the guidance that they need to be able to reopen safely if they feel like they can do so. And I know that they have gone to, you know, very strenuous uh, rules and regulations in the schools to protect any vulnerable teachers that they may have that are medically fragile and making sure that, you know, they're open in the safest way possible. Um, but, look, there's risk with everything. I mean, there's risk for our, you know, police officers and our guardsmen that's been on the street protecting our cities. And there's risk for people that have been working this whole pandemic in the grocery stores and in other places in critical infrastructure. But there's also a lot of risk of kids not being in school. You know, sex trafficking, right. abuse, uh, bad nutrition, just the, the social ramifications and mental health ramifications of not being able to be around other kids and getting physical activity. And that's why the, the National Pediatric Association recommended schools going back in person. We just got to make sure we're doing that in a smart way. And, you know, for those that don't feel that way, there's certainly virtual options that are out there. Well, look, I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, best of luck to you as we continue to get into the school system and school season and see this happen. And, and thank you for your leadership on this. Thanks for having me on there. Have a great afternoon. You too. Governor Brian Kemp. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, uh, let me mention uh, one more advertiser here for you because this one could benefit you greatly if you're a business. That is First Liberty Building and Loan. They're here in Noonan for those of you uh, listening in Georgia, but it doesn't matter where you are nationwide. They can help you. They don't help individuals. They help businesses. And they help businesses become bigger businesses. They help businesses that need access to capital. They need loans. Um, they need credit lines. You can go to First Liberty and get help. Also, uh, PPP. They've been helping people get into the program. And whenever Congress finally gets it in gear and does what it needs to do, they'll be able to help you and your business, uh, whether you're a sole proprietor or what. Uh, they can help you. What you got to do, though, is you got to go to FirstLibertyGA.com. That's their website. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. Uh, you can go check them out. Now, I have mentioned, I want to keep mentioning, I, I do not get money for this. I, I didn't get a discount, nothing. 
I just, uh, my wife and I are doing it, and I know you people love guns as much as I do. You, you support the Second Amendment, and there's a great group from Las Vegas that's coming to Georgia to do, if I understand it right, they're doing training for some SWAT teams in the state. And whenever this group, they rarely go around and, and do this sort of stuff in these parts, but they're coming. And uh, Archon Ready Group, they are Delta and special operators. Uh, I mean, not, not Delta Airlines, but like in the military. They're highly competent people, put it to you that way. And they do excellent gun training. Christy and I signed up for their class in December. And uh, I wanted to make sure you guys knew it was on your radar. It, it, it's kind of pricey. It's like $500 a person, uh, which we paid, and you'd have to pay, and you got to bring your own ammo and guns. But apparently it is some of the best uh, training you will ever get in your life, and they're doing one day for a pistol, a uh, handgun, and one day for rifle. And they teach you the physics and, and the mechanics and why you do certain things. They don't just tell you to do it. They explain why. Because, you know, these days uh, we, we live in this world now where you tell someone to do something. Well, you have to tell me why. Well, they, they want to preemptively tell you why you do things certain ways. Uh, and I'm excited to go. I, I followed them for a while on Instagram. That's how I saw that they were coming to the state. And so I'm, I'm totally I'm on board. I'm going to do it. If you're interested at all, uh, text the word data. D-A-T-A, text that word to this number, 33777, 33777, that's the number, 33777, text that. Text the word data to that number. I'll send you back the Georgia Department of Public Health data uh, so you can see that, but the number one link will be this Archon Ready Groups, uh, Atlanta, they're doing it in Paul, where is it, the South River Gun Club, I think it's in Paulding County. Uh, and I'm excited. I hear this gun club is great too. I didn't even know it existed. And, and friends of mine who are sheriff's deputies have told me, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so they're going to be doing the training there. I think it's December 5th and 6th. That's the first weekend in December. I'm excited to do it. Uh, I always like to improve my skills. Uh, and I just, I wanted to make it available to you cause I'll be there. We can hang out. Um, I'm not worried about security. I'll have a bunch of military special operators there. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I wanted to tell you about it. Okay, when we come back, we got other stuff to get uh, talk about, including we've, we've got the situation here in Georgia with the Kelly Loeffler, Doug Collins race. More money is pouring in. But let me prepare you for something. I actually want to deviate again from all the stuff I've been talking about because I want to talk about Disney. I, I know, I know. Disney has decided to release Mulan, which a whole lot of people, my family included, have been waiting to go to theaters and see. And it doesn't look like theaters are going to happen now. Uh, it looks like um, it, that you're going to have to watch it on TV. And so they're making it available on Disney+. Plus. And the implications of that, uh, when we come back, I also want to take your phone calls. If you want to call in about anything... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I suspect when we go to break, I got an article I'm, I've got pulled up. I intend to glance at it. And who knows, when we come back, I may completely surprise you. That's the, the, the genius of this program here is no one ever knows what I'm going to say or what I'm going to talk about, including me. It all just kind of comes out in, in a stream of consciousness. No script required. Uh, but I, I got a ton of stuff I've passed over earlier in the show, and now I got to get to it, including the Democrats downplaying debates. But I do actually want to talk about the Disney stuff and also how the virus is being covered in the state, because I, I think we could do a better job here in the state. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, is, what is it? 
y'all, I, I am. It, it, we're we're at Friday, and the things of this week, you know, just randomly. I know the phone number. Let me get that first. Eight seven seven nine seven Eric. 877-973-7425. If you want to call in, um, those of you on the phone, stand by. We actually have a call. Um, I, in fact, this happened to me yesterday. Someone saw me. I was leaving the gym yesterday uh, afternoon, and someone saw me, and they wanted to talk about something. I'd said, I never remember, and, and I'm sorry. It is. It, it's once it comes out of my mouth, it is out there in the ether. I, I do not remember. It is the crazy thing. So, so I, I, my, my old boss, uh, the pig farmer, uh, from my evening show, WSB used to always call me and say, Hey, uh, what you said about such and such was great. I had never had, I had no idea what he's talking about. I, I don't even remember that. I talked about that topic. This just happens to me all the time. I say it and it's gone. Uh, and I'm about to say something and it's going to make people mad because I am going to switch to what I'm was reading but before i do that tommy in macon i'm gonna go take his phone call tommy welcome to the program hey good good to talk to you i uh, uh was wondering what in the world uh and to carry over effects of all of this money that they're printing in washington or voting to print in washington uh what is effect is it gonna have on our grandkids and and, and the devaluation of the dollar I personally think it's going to be an absolute disaster. Uh, the dollar is declining. Yeah, the Chinese are taking advantage of it. They're setting up the renminbi, I think, is their currency. They're setting it up to be a reserve currency away from the dollar. Uh, the fact that gold is is skyrocketing the way it is right now uh, suggests yep. that there's deep instability. Uh, I think we – and this is why, by the way, Rand Paul – reached out and he wants to come on on Monday, I think, to talk about this issue because it is concerning him and it should. I realized that right. we needed to do some of the stuff we did to preserve the economy. But at this point, I mean, the Democrats want to spend trillions of dollars more. This is the, the, the chickens are coming home to roost on this issue to quote Jeremiah, right? It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah, we are. We're rapidly past the point where our national debt makes any sense in terms of GDP. Uh, and it's going to cause yep. long-term recessionary effects, and, and the world is going to pass us by. Uh, and, you know, Tommy, and thanks very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. And, and here's the thing. This this is the thing that really, 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 really makes me mad. I am convinced that a bipartisan lead in this country, Republican and Democrats, they won't say it personally or publicly, but privately believe that our our day is over and it's China's day to shine. And that infuriates me. Because it only is if we let it happen, and but they're going to let it happen. Now, let me. I I said I was going to mention this Mulan thing real quick. Just just bear with me here. Disney is going to release Mulan on TV, a big Disney theater production. They they haven't decided to do this with Black Widow yet. And I actually retweeted an account the other day that it was the Disney Plus account, but it was a parody account. I didn't realize it. Say they were doing it with Black Widow. They're not, but they are with Mulan, which is going to be a huge box office uh, draw. And now if you're on Disney Plus, you'll be able to watch Mulan for an additional fee through Disney Plus. I think Labor Day weekend, I am totally there for that. It's one of my favorite Disney animated movies, and I am totally there for Mulan, the live-action movie. They're not going to have some of the, uh, like the, the Eddie Murphy dragon character and stuff. They're not going to have Mushu, I think his name is, but I'm totally there for it. What I find interesting is that Disney, a company that is desperate to continue um, the, the silver screen and, and the theater business. Disney actually wants to promote the theater business. It's basically saying, oh, we don't know when this thing is over. People want this movie. 
I'm glad they're doing it. I wish they had more Mandalorian episodes ready to go. I started rewatching The Mandalorian last night. Or no, no, two nights ago. I went fishing last. I did go fishing last night, y'all. I thankfully I did not catch a fish, so I didn't have to figure out how to get the hook out of its mouth. <laughs> So I had Philip and, and my son for, but nonetheless, I did go fish last night. The night before, um, I, I I was rewatched the Mandalorian, and man, that show is good. Um, my my wife, who is not into any of that sort of stuff, watched the episodes with me, and it's just it's like a it's a western. Um, I'm impressed, but I think it was a strategic error for Disney error for Disney to not uh, have more episodes ready to go. They they didn't have a whole lot of new content. Netflix continues to churn stuff out. Now, I'm going to go where few dare to go. I want a full warning here. I'm going to make some of you mad. In fact, I may make a lot of you mad. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because this is genuinely aggravating to me. If I tell you, in all sincerity... If I tell you in all sincerity that I am the king of England, am I the king of England? Am I the king of England if I tell you I am? Do you have to call me the king of England? Do you need to to acknowledge me and treat me as if I'm the king of England? Do you need to bow down before me if I say I'm the king of England? What if I say I'm a Christian? The president overstepped his bounds. He said, uh, Joe Biden is going to hurt God in some way. No, he's not. Uh, it, It was a dumb thing for the president to say, but the media got highly indignant that the president would question Joe Biden's Christianity. You know what? I, I, Donald Trump has never claimed to be a Christian. I, I realize there are a lot of people who who say he's claimed that. No, Donald Trump has said multiple times on stage that he has never had anything to repent. One of the hallmarks of Christianity is repentance. Repent and be baptized. And the president said he has never in his life ever had anything to repent for, which suggests to me he falls outside the parameters of faith. Barack Obama as well, I, I don't think was a it was a genuine Christian. I think he said what he had to say. Uh, and, and over time, he certainly shifted. And, and given the way he persecuted the Christian church in this country, I have a hard time believing he was either. And then there's Joe Biden, who the media, after the president said the dumb things he said yesterday, the media went into full defense. He's a practicing Catholic. If you're a practicing Catholic and you support killing kids, you're not really a good Christian. You could Maybe you can be a Christian, but you're not a good one. If you believe in killing kids, if you believe in abortion, if you support abortion rights, uh, one day you will be called to account by the God of all creation for why you supported the murder of the innocents. To call Joe Biden a practicing Catholic, to to say you can't question his Christianity when Joe Biden questions the orthodox teachings of the Catholic Church that are shared by Christian communities around the world, and he has been himself denied communion by the Catholic Church, is ridiculous for the media. And it is absolutely ridiculous for people to think just because someone calls themselves a Christian means they are. You can call yourself a Christian and believe in child sacrifice and pray to the devil, and that doesn't mean you're a Christian. And the media in this day and age with its standards would tell you, oh, you got to call that person Christian because they say they're a Christian. 
question. If I call myself the king of England, do you, do you have to treat me as that? It, it's, it's the exact same way of, of people saying that uh, they're, they're transgender, that they're really a man, but by God, you've got to treat me as a woman. No, no, science says you're not. I got an email yesterday. In fact, let me read this offensive, outrageous email that I got yesterday. It just, uh, I actually said a, a dirty word, and I'm glad that my microphone was off or I would have lost my job yesterday. Let me read you this. Uh, My name is Aaron Pearson, and I'm a blogger at Seriously Smoked, a website that specializes in, you guessed it, grilling, smoking, and barbecue. Plant-based meat are all the rage at the moment. There's no such thing as plant-based meat except to the extent that your cows eat grass. Plant-based meat. Can you help us spread the word with our in-depth guide to plant-based meat? No, there's no such thing as plant-based meat. And just because you call it meat doesn't mean it's meat. Just because you call someone a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. But thou shalt not judge. the. Do you people even understand what judging in Scripture means? I mean, the very God of all creation who tells you not to judge then tells you not to throw pearls before swine, which means you've got to make a judgment call on are, are you arguing with swine? This is not how it works. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be the measure back to you. And then he goes on to say, don't throw pearls before swine. So wait, wait a second. So you're you're telling me I've got to judge whether someone's a swine, but I can't judge whether someone's a Christian. The entire New Testament is replete with uh, discerning whether or not someone is actually true to the Word of God. But you've got a bunch of, of pagan activists who want to call themselves Christians who throw this in your face and say, you're judging me when you say I'm not a Christian. No, I'm actually discerning based on Scripture that you're not practicing what you preach. I'm actually discerning the fact, you know, so here's the thing, judgment in the Bible, and I, I'm, I'm seeing, by the way, this is happening a lot with gay rights activists these days who want to claim to be Christian and they want to twist scripture from its clear 2,000-year historic orthodox meaning to try to justify homosexuality within scripture to say it's not really a sin, even when the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament together are completely consistent on the fact that it is, they want to twist it and say it's not, and they want to say, well, you can't judge me, you can't judge the hell I can, the Bible says I can. Don't throw pearl before swine. The Bible says discern who the false teachers are. Here are the signs of the false teachers. I'll tell you who the false teachers are. The false teachers are the ones who take 2,000 years of biblical orthodoxy and turn it on its head so that they can claim that their sin isn't a sin anymore. That's exactly what's happening. And now you've got the media out there and and just uh, absolute just, oh, you can't say that about Joe Biden, President Trump. You know what? I don't think President Trump is a practicing Christian, and I don't care whether that offends you or not, because the man has said in multiple occasions he's never had anything to repent for. And the man talks like he's got Rosetta Stone for theology to try to figure out what the heck the two Corinthians are. Joe Biden is the same way. Joe Biden likes to throw, oh, I go to church. Joe Biden, you believe in killing kids. Not only that, you've become more radical in that position over time. Not only that, that you you support uh, that marriage isn't just between a man and a woman, and you want to shut down and punish those who hold the biblical orthodoxy. You are perfectly fine with these governments around the country shutting down churches and not letting them worship. Uh, You know what? I, I don't think you are either. And if you are, you're a very bad one. And you know what? I get the right to say that. And if you don't like it, you can change the channel. You can tell me I'm wrong. I don't care, but you're wrong. 
This is absolutely, I do not get the right to define myself as the King of England when I have none of the entrappings of being the King of England. Uh, you, you, you're a Muslim who believes Muhammad is the prophet and you come out and say you're a Christian. I don't have to treat you as a Christian. And you know what? If I come out tomorrow and say I'm a Muslim and I'm eating pork and I'm praying to Jesus, you don't have to say I'm a Muslim. We'll be known by our works and this whole idea that judge not, uh, it means that I can't discern that you're not who you claim to be is absolute garbage. You know what the judging actually means? The judging actually means a judgment with a sentence passed. I can't say you're going to hell. I can say you're not good at this Christianity thing, and I can say you're probably not a Christian. I can say you're not a Christian. But I can't say you're going to hell because you know what? Tomorrow you could find that saving faith. Judging in in this story, so I, I, I there, there's a a guy I know who says it's all about discrimination. That that this judging means don't discriminate against others, lest you be discriminated against. No, of course, huh, surprise. He believes that that you Christian bakers should be baking the cakes for the gay weddings or be shut down. Surprise. So he's twisting the meaning of scripture, and in fact, he, he's citing these one reference in scripture where he's not paying attention to other references where the exact same word is used, and it actually very clearly means in like a judicial setting that you're going to punish the person. You, you've judged them to be guilty of something, and therefore punishment comes. No, you're not allowed to punish someone. That's for God, but you can't actually make the discernment to say otherwise. And for the media to be all upset that the president says Joe Biden is not really a Christian or Joe Biden's going to be hurting God. Well, it was a stupid thing for the president to say, particularly the hurting God thing. The president himself doesn't seem to know anything about the Christian faith, but to actually point out that Joe Biden claims to be a practicing Catholic and rejects core key tenets of, of Catholicism, let alone of Orthodox Christianity, I don't have a problem with anybody pointing that out. The only people who do are the media and the media, they, they hate Christians to begin with. It's like Christianity has become the only religion in the world that's not allowed to define itself. And when you do, they throw out twisted scripture at you uh, that only they use. Or they say, well, you wear mixed fabric clothing. The Bible says, do you not understand the shibboleths of the damned? Do you not understand that some of these Old Testament rules don't apply? And actually, if you're in Orthodox Christianity, you understand what does apply and what doesn't apply because you actually go to church. And, and don't be nodding your head at me when you don't even darken the door of a church and you're just a cultural Christian who thinks your politics and your faith all align. Because I can assure you, if your politics and faith align in everything, you're probably conforming your faith to your, your politics instead of the other way around. It just, it, it, all of this annoys me. The People have gotten so stupid in how they talk about faith in society now. For the president to say that about Joe Biden was ridiculous. For the media to defend Joe Biden was also ridiculous. Uh, for you to say that that I can't say, no, this person really isn't living up to the tenets of Christianity. He doesn't look like he really is one. For you to get upset, no, you know, I get to do that. And guess what? You do too. You're not saying they're going to hell. You're just saying, you know, there are things they should do. And there's wide latitude within Christianity. But I'm sorry, if you're twisting scripture to try to justify your sin and say, actually, the Bible says it's not a sin. When 2,000 years of Orthodox Christians who are willing to lay down their lives in defense of Christian, Christianity say it actually is, then guess what? You're not only a sinner, but you're lying about your sin. 
You don't need to redefine Christianity to fit your sins. You know, we're supposed to change to be more godlike, be more Christ-like. The Bible's not supposed to be changed like us. If you're going to redact the parts of Scripture you don't like, you got I got a problem with you. If your pastor in your church or you is uncomfortable preaching on sins in the New Testament because those sins disrupt the the um, prevailing zeitgeist of the day on sexuality, then you know what? You're doing your Christianity badly, if not doing Christianity wrong altogether. If you've got a pastor who is more willing to preach on Numbers chapter 1 than on 1 Corinthians 5, you probably need to find a new church. And if you're one of those people, well, please stop cheapening my faith. It is a deep, rich faith, but it actually holds us to standards. Standards many of us will never meet because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But please spare me the revisions to Christianity because you have a sin that you love and you don't want to give it up. And you've now concluded God's made you this way or that way or whatever. No, we live in a fallen world. Deal with it and repent. And I'm so freaking tired of the media telling me we're not allowed to say that stuff. Actually, you know what? We're supposed to. We're supposed to call fellow Christians, those who call themselves Christians, to repent. We all need to repent, myself included. Please spare me the revisions of Christianity just to make it politically correct these days and nice for a civil society that hates God to begin with. I feel better having gotten that off my chest. Yes, I do. Now, I need to tell you about dynamic money. Uh, I, I mentioned Cliff, my financial advisor, and, and what he put up. Uh, this is uh, Chris Burns, who guest hosts for me is the CEO of Dynamic Money. And uh, Cliff, who works for him, is one of his financial advisors. And Chris and I are friends. And we just decided whenever we get together, we spend so much time talking about other stuff and watching movies that that we, I got to use somebody else's company for financial planning. But they really are. Uh, my wife's in my financial planning company. They manage our 401k. They help us uh, with budgeting and, and finance and paying off debts and coming up with plans. Uh, and, and I can't thank them enough for doing it. And I really genuinely, sincerely recommend them to you because I know right now in, in the financial times we're in, a lot of people need extra help uh, managing finances. Just glancing at your 401k, they are fee only. Uh, they're not going to charge you a commission for something. You don't have to worry about them trying to sell you a product that ultimately benefits them more than you. Uh, they are fee only, uh, which typically is reserved for high net worth individuals, but they have structured their entire company to be for people in the middle class, to be able to come to them, uh, get fee only consulting. So you're not being sold products by them. They'll manage your 401k for that. They'll do a, a fee that's standard for people in the industry. But otherwise, they'll look over your insurance. They'll recommend better insurance for you. They'll find you better deals. They'll help you with refining your house. They don't do it themselves. They'll refer you to people to do refinances. They can help you get equity out of your house to pay off debts. They can do all this stuff. Uh, they did it for us. I can attest to their value. I sleep well at night knowing I have a financial plan I used to not have, and I have it because of Dynamic Money. Their website is dynamicmoney.com. Dynamicmoney.com is the website. Please, if, you, if you've got any concerns at all with your current finances, with how your 401k is doing, any of that, go to them. Um, and I need to do a public service now. This is not an ad. Uh, this, this is not an ad. Uh, but I just, I know there is a, ma as, as demand for masks have gone up in the country, there is a huge shortage of masks. If you are a business or you're a, you work for a governmental entity, a school system that needs masks, I've got a friend of mine whose company makes masks. And this is the craziest thing about how our bureaucratic structure works right now is they're selling. I mean, they, they've literally sold like 50 million masks to Mexico. They make them here in the United States. 
and they've got uh, lines in with 3M and others where th they can help you there. They can help navigate the system to get 3M masks, uh, but they've got their own N95 masks and surgical masks. But here's the deal. There's a catch. Uh, they're not going to sell less than 100,000 at a time. Uh, they prefer to do million mask orders and more, but they can. Uh, if you need access to masks, let me know. Shoot me an email, eric at theresurgeon.com. I can connect you with them. Uh, I don't want to talk about the company on on because I don't want them to get flooded with stuff. I, I know who the point of contact is. I'm happy to do it, but it, it really, seriously, it, it's if you just need a mask or two, this isn't for you. But if you need 100,000, if you need a million, if you need 10 million masks, this company can help, uh, and I'm happy to get you in touch with them. I cannot believe the mask shortage we have right now in the country, but we do, And but I know how to help you.